You remember what's been happening? Jesus has been describing uh, what disciples should be like, and he's given us the Beatitudes, which talks about the inner attitude of his disciples, and then he spoke about salt and light, and that's the outward behavior of his disciples. And that's what we've got to be. We've got to be those with the right attitudes and the right actions. And now, just coming to um, the theme of his sermon, he talks about himself. He's been talking about the poor in spirit, you being the salt, but now that he comes to the heart of his sermon, he preaches about himself being the fulfillment of the law. Now, if you play football, it's very important that you know what the rules are. And we all rejoice that uh, our English under-20s football teams won the World Cup. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah, we did. And if you play tennis, then you have to make sure that you follow the rules. And it's really annoying when people change the rules. If you play with my six-year-old grandson, the rules will change whenever he's losing. <laughs> and when I came to Chesterfield 20-odd years ago, I decided that, because I loved rugby so much as a youngster, I would go and play rugby at Chesterfield. So I went to the Chesterfield Rugby Club and I joined in for a couple of their training sessions, but so many of the rules had changed. It was, I was, I had, I'd been out of the game for 10 years and so many of the rules had changed that it was, uh, I realized it was too late for me. Some rules do change. In some places, laws are different than in other places. So here, we drive on the left-hand side of the road, and in France, they drive on the right-hand side of the road. And if you don't obey the law, then it causes real problems. And there was a tragedy when I worked for the Sudan Interior Mission. They were telling me, uh, this is 50 years ago, in Nigeria, they changed from driving on the uh, right-hand side of the road to the left-hand side of the road or something. I can't remember which it was. And petrol was cheaper to buy in Nigeria than in Niger, French West Africa, where I was. And one of our missionaries went on furlough, came back, and had missed all the publicity and everything about the Nigeria changing, driving from one side to another. He drove down into Nigeria from Niger to fill up with petrol, got over the border, and the roads were just a, 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 a tarmac with uh, just sandy <coughs> road, either, uh, sand, sandy land either side of the road. And he was driving down the road, and a car was coming towards him. And so he pulled to the left, but the car coming towards him pulled to the right. And they crashed about 40 yards to the left because he didn't know he should be driving on the other side of the road now. In one country, you drive on one side. another country, you drive on the other side. And we need to know which is right for the situation. Um, something else about laws is that laws increase sin. I remember Max Taylor telling me the story of a man who was trying to look after his kids, and he was 
cooking them beans on toast when the phone rang. And so he had to leave the room to answer the phone. And just as he was leaving the room, he looked at his boys and said, don't put your baked beans in your ears. When he came back from the phone, guess what they were all doing? <laughs> because you see, they would have never thought about it before, but now being told they can't do it, they thought about it and started doing it. And if I tell you, don't think of a white polar bear, what are you thinking of? <laughs> you weren't thinking of it all day, but as soon as I mentioned it, it causes you to do it. And if I tell you, don't think of a white polar bear water skiing, strangely enough, that's what you think about. Some rules are just for a time, like the rule, don't cross the road. When you take your little kiddies out and they want to run across the road, you say, stop, don't cross the road. And then a minute later, you say, you can cross the road now. It was wrong then, it's right now. Now, the Old Testament laws, the Old Testament laws... According to Hebrews, the Old Testament law was a shadow pointing to the reality that was to come when Christ came. The law is a shadow of the good things that were to come in Christ. So when you get to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is there, and Moses and Elijah, these two great representatives, of the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets. These two great representatives of the Old Testament are there with Jesus. It's not, oh yeah, we had Moses, and then we added to Moses Elijah, and now we add to Moses and Elijah Jesus. It's not that. Do you remember what the voice from heaven said? This is my son. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah pointed forward to Jesus. We listen to Jesus. So, what does this mean about the Old Testament? Does it mean we don't have to obey the Old Testament law? And this is a massive subject. So, if you say to me, Chris, do we have to obey the Old Testament law? I will say, kind of. All right? Because we don't obey the law simply because the law says it. We obey these laws because Jesus says they're good. And we're following Jesus. So when you go to France and you're driving in France and you're driving along and you say, we don't do it as we do it in England, we drive on the other side of the road... <coughs> You're doing it correct, you're driving on the other side of the road, but when you see a red traffic light, you stop. Not because the law of England says stop, but because the law of France says stop. Do you understand that? You drive on the side of the road that the law of France says, and you stop at the red traffic lights as the law of France says. Because you're in France, you do what the law of France says. And sometimes the law of England and the law of France says exactly the same thing, i.e. stop at red traffic lights. And sometimes the Old Testament law and the law of Jesus Christ says exactly the same thing. So has Jesus abolished the Old Testament law? The answer is no. No, he hasn't abolished it. He has fulfilled 
fulfilled it. And this is so important. If you read the early church fathers, you will find the one passage of the New Testament that they quoted more than anything else is this one paragraph here. And yet for us, we really, really struggle with it. It tells us in verse 17 that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. He doesn't abolish them. He fulfills them. Now, when I first came here 20 odd, 25, 26 years ago, I was asked to go and speak at the University Christian Union at Derby University on this paragraph here. Because one of the students there came from the church in Broadstairs where I used to be and he asked me to go and speak to the students and I tried to explain this and I really couldn't do it. I was really confused, really upset, really made a hash of it because Jesus says that he doesn't abolish the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And yet I was convinced that Jesus had abolished the food laws. You know, some pork, we can eat it, can't we? Because Jesus declared all foods clean. In the Old Testament, it said those foods are unclean. Jesus said they are clean. And, and I thought Jesus abolished the law. And I was really, really confused by all this. Um, and we are tempted, you see, we are tempted to think that Jesus abolished the law. So Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus doesn't abolish them, but secondly, Christ Jesus fulfills them. If you have an acorn, in that acorn is the potential to become an oak tree. So you, you plant the acorn, you water it, and it grows and it becomes complete as an oak tree. And Jesus takes the Old Testament law and, and he brings it to completion. This is what it is all about. Indeed, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. He says, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the reason he says law and prophets is because he's talking about the whole of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And he uses this word fulfilled. Well, isn't it interesting? There you are driving down the road and the police stop you. And the police say, do you know how fast you were driving? And you say, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I was keeping the law. Or you say, I'm sorry, you were right. I was breaking the law. But you never say, I was fulfilling the law, do you? We don't talk about that. We either obey it or disobey it. And, and the government either uh, maintains it or abolishes it. But Jesus says he's come to fulfill it. And what on earth is he talking about? Well, if you read the earlier chapters of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 4, it quotes the Old Testament and says these are fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets point to Jesus. Jesus uh, 
comes and he does what was revealed. So the Old Testament prophets prophesied about the coming of Jesus. It was like a promise that, God, that Jesus had promised in the Old Testament. And now Jesus comes and he, he does what he had promised. He keeps his promise. So if you parents say to your children, if you get five GCSEs, I'll buy you a, a car, <laughs> and they get five GCSEs, then you have to keep your promise and buy the car. Well, the Old Testament prophesied about the coming Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled them. He kept the promises. But the law also points to Jesus, and this really confuses us. Because we don't think of the law as the same as prophecies, but just as prophecies were fulfilled, so the laws were fulfilled. It's a bit like when you say to your kids, if you do your revision, then I will take you out to Nando's. And they do their revision. They fulfill the requirements, and therefore you can take them out well, the law, Jesus fulfilled it all. It all points to him. The law and the prophets point to Jesus, and Jesus fulfills it all. And in verse 18, we see, secondly, that everything, everything will be accomplished. The law points forward to Jesus, and every detail is fulfilled accomplished. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You know the difference between an L and a T? It's a tiny little line. And he says in the law, even the tiniest little line of a pen won't pass away. The Old Testament will be fulfilled, not just the big stories, but every detail will be fulfilled, and it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So we'll see in a few minutes, as we come to take communion, that at the end of his life, Jesus said, it is finished. It is completed. Every detail. Nothing left for us. Jesus has fulfilled it all. He has accomplished everything. Which brings us, thirdly, to learn that we ourselves must teach the law fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We must teach the law fulfilled in Christ. Now this is so complicated for us because we have 2,000 years of history where people have got all complicated, made it complicated for us. So today we think of a traditional interpretation of the law as the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. So the ceremonial law is the um, sacrifices, 
the civil law is the commands about slavery and kings and other things, and the moral law is things about stealing and murder. And we think that there are these three kinds of laws. Thomas Aquinas was the first person to teach us that there are three areas of the law. And he said that we don't have to keep the uh, ceremonial law, we don't have to keep the civil law, we only have to keep the moral law. So we have to teach and obey just one-third of the law, and there's two-thirds that we don't bother with. In the last 25 years, there has been a new movement in theology called theonomy, or reconstructionism, and it says, no, 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 there's the moral, uh, there's the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial, and the ceremonial, the sacrifices, that was fulfilled in Christ, but the civil, how you obey the state, and the moral, stealing and murder, we've got to keep both those. And so there are Christians in America teaching us that today we should reintroduce slavery. They teach that we should keep the moral and the civil law. Now, there are others who still want to follow some of the ceremonial laws. So every year there are tours of Christians who go over to join in the Feast of Tabernacles and these Old Testament feasts. So they want to obey not only some of the moral laws, but the, the civil laws, but some of the ceremonial ones as well. And we're in a real pickle because we divide the law up into moral, civil, and ceremonial, and we're not quite sure where one uh, part ends and the other part begins. Before Aquinas, sorry about all this history, but hopefully it will get clear to you in a minute. Before Aquinas, so before the uh, 12th century, they didn't divide the Old Testament law into three sections, but just two sections. This is Augustine's teaching. He said there is this literal commands that we have to obey, don't kill, and there are these spiritual laws. So those which aren't literal, uh, we spiritualize them. So he says there are some that were fulfilled by Christ, and those are the spiritualized ones, and there are ones that are to be fulfilled by us, and those are the literal ones. And um, we have to work out which ones to obey. And today, one of the great Old Testament scholars is a guy called Walter Kaiser. And he says, he says, you look at the Old Testament, and Jesus says you, you keep the uh, little bits of the law, like the tithing, but the weightier matters you disregard. And Walter Kaiser says our job is to keep the weightier bits, and we can ignore the smaller bits. So there are laws in the Old Testament that tell you when you go to the toilet, take your spade with you and go to the end of the camp. And you don't have to do that today, says Walter Kaiser, but you do have to love your neighbor. Some people say, so we've had three, then we've had those who divide it into two. There are some people who say the only bit of the Old Testament law we have to keep is the Ten Commandments. That's the only bit we have to keep. They say the Old Testament Laws were good, but the Ten Commandments were special. They were given twice, and God wrote them on tablets of stone. He says, so you, you, you can separate these Ten Commandments from all the others. 
sadly, it's not as easy as that. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, there are 21 chapters of laws. And these 21 chapters are divided up following the Ten Commandments. So all the laws of the Old Testament really are just saying, these are the Ten Commandments, these are how they apply to you. <sighs> so, you can say, we will keep the big bits of the law, loving God, but we can ignore the rest. And the Apostle Paul comes along, and he says, you can't divide the law. It's either all or nothing. So James says, if you break one part of the law, you've broken the whole thing. So it's no good saying we can keep bits of it, but not other. And Jesus doesn't say here, as long as you keep the big bits of the law, it's all right. He says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean? Does it mean we've got to keep the food laws? Does it mean we've got to keep Saturday special? Does it mean we've got to keep new moon feasts? What does it mean? What it means is this. We obey the whole Old Testament law as it is now fulfilled in Christ. Does that make sense to you? So, we, the law points forward to Christ. The whole law is fulfilled in Christ and we follow Christ. We see every detail of the law pointing to Christ and we follow Christ. And we teach the whole law fulfilled in Christ. Every detail fulfilled in Christ. So, the Ten Commandments, the summary of the Old Testament law given to Israel, was the ten words of God written on tablets of stone. And then Jesus Christ comes. The Word became flesh. And we follow Christ with the law of God written on flesh. It's not a matter then of just not committing murder. When the Old Testament says, don't commit murder, Jesus Christ comes along and he says, <laughs> he says, it's not simply a matter of not murdering, but you mustn't hate your brother. You mustn't curse your brother. You mustn't lose your temper with your brother. You mustn't speak badly about him. Indeed, you must be willing to lay down your life for him. Hey. It's taken the Old Testament law and it's raised it to a much higher level, hasn't it? So instead of just following the law, we see the law fulfilled in Christ and now we follow Christ. We're not following the law, we're following the Lord. The law was great, it was wonderful, it was holy, it was good, it was a gift of God, but it was a shadow. The reality is Christ. We see the law pointing to Christ and we follow Christ. So, husbands... How should you love your wives? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. We are following Christ. Wives, how should you treat your husbands? As Christ submitted to the Father, so wives submit to their husbands. We do it as Christ did it. If you read 1 Peter, you will see all the teaching there is we're to behave this way, not because the law says so, but because Christ 
says so. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us that we shouldn't commit adultery. Do you know why we shouldn't commit adultery? Paul, all he had to do was say, the Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. But he doesn't mention that at all. He says, you are united to Christ. If you are united to Christ, how can you then unite yourself with a prostitute? You can't. So it's not simply because the law says, it's now because of Christ. And what we are is we're followers of Christ. The law pointed to Christ. We follow Christ. And as we follow Christ, then we follow the goal of every detail of even the least of these commands. Now this is so difficult for us to get our heads around. And I remember two theologians coming to see me and they were talking to me about this subject. And so we read through Leviticus 19. And this is an exercise for you to do tonight. You can go home and you can read Leviticus 19. And you ask yourself, do I do this? Do I do that? Do I do this? Do I do that? Why? What makes the difference? And it is all a matter of now we are following Christ. We're in Christ. And this destroys self-righteousness. So I'm not good because I've obeyed the laws. No, I'm trying to follow Christ now. He's my standard. It's not that I haven't murdered anyone. Oh, that's good. No, no, no. I'm following Christ who loves us to the point of death. When I was at school, I had a rugby teacher who hated rugby. I think he hated kids. But he, he, he had to teach rugby. It was part of his job. And he would take us out there and he would say, right, run a mile. Anyone who's not back within six minutes has to run it a second time. So we would run as fast as we could. And the poor guys who would do it in six minutes, one second, had to do it another time. The next year we had a rugby teacher who loved sport, loved rugby, loved kids. And he would turn up, he says, right, let's go for a run. And we would all go for a run together. And if we were struggling, then he would run with us. Say, come on, come on, keep in time. And he would encourage us to keep going. And the law was like that. said, right, six minutes or you've got to do it again. Jesus says, come with me. Follow me. Run with me. The law is tablets of stone, cold, hard, and unfeeling. But Christ lives in our shoes. And he is full of grace and truth. So we don't reject the tiniest bit of the Old Testament law. We see it all fulfilled in Christ. Whether it's the Ten Commandments, whether it's the food laws, whether it's the civil laws, whether it's the sacrificial laws, it's all pointed to Christ. And we follow Christ, the fulfillment of the law. Which means, finally, verse 20... Righteousness by the law is not enough. You see, the righteousness of the Pharisees was, tick this box, done it. Tick that box, done it. But Jesus says, for I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were so enthusiastic enthusiastic about obeying the law, that they went fanatical in their obedience. And there was a group of the Pharisees called the bruised and bleeding. Because 
they were so pure as men that even if they saw a woman, they wouldn't look at her in case they were tempted to work, look with unclean thoughts. And so as they were walking down the street and they saw a, a girl there, they would just close their eyes and keep walking. <laughs> And they would trip over things and they would bump into things. And they were known as the bruised and bleeding because they were so spiritual. Why they didn't have the sense just to stand still, I don't know. But they were, they were fanatical. They were fanatical about keeping the Sabbath day. So because um, you weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath day, you weren't allowed to make clay because that's what the potter did. And so if you spat on the ground, you were actually in the process of making clay. So they would not spit on the Sabbath day. So if they got a fly in their mouth, they wouldn't spit. Because they were so determined to obey the law. They would tie their mint and their cumin. So if they, they got a bit of rosemary to put on the land, they would tie the bit of it. It's a bit like you when you're eating your yogurt and you leave a tenth of it. Or you get a Mars bar and you cut a tenth of it off and you won't eat it. They were so strict. And then they would fast for two days every week. Every week. Even though the Old Testament only really had the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, as a day to fast, they were so zealous that they uh, obeyed the law. They wanted to do more than was required. And Jesus says, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Help, you say. How on earth can we do that? The answer is this. Their righteousness comes from them obeying the law. Our righteousness comes from Jesus having obeyed the law perfectly. And we are followers of him. And we are clothed in his righteousness. So we have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees because it's not what we do, but what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus has fulfilled the law. They are trying to keep it. Jesus has fulfilled it. And he gives us his righteousness. He not only washes away our sin and makes us clean. You see, theoretically, Jesus Christ could have come into this world and the very first day he, he lived, he could have been crucified and died. And then it would have been a divine sacrifice, but he wouldn't have obeyed the law for us. So Jesus lived for 30-odd years, and he kept the law, and his obedience he gives to us. So he not only forgives us our sin by his death, but he gives us his righteousness by his obedience. For years, I went to church, morning, afternoon, and evening, and I tried to make myself good enough for God. I tried everything I could. I tried to say the prayer. I said the prayer, goodness knows how many times. I remember putting my hands out like this for the whole of the service, saying, Lord, come into my life, trying to get myself saved. I thought, if I do it right, I'll be saved. Then I thought, well, no, I've got to read the Bible. And then I, I was so <laughs> neurotic and fanatical about it that I 
carried a Bible with me everywhere I went. So I always had a Bible in my pocket. So even when I went into the RE exams where you weren't allowed to take your Bible with you, I took my Bible in my pocket, not to cheat, but because I was hoping that by carrying the Bible with me, then God was pleased with me. God was impressed with me. I was good enough for God. Still nothing happened. So I made lists of things I wasn't going to do and things I was going to do. And on the bus each day, I would look to see how I had failed and tried to make myself good enough for God. And all that happened is I got more and more defeated, more and more discouraged, and more and more odd. And then the day came. I can remember it clearly, just walking upstairs to go to bed. I realized I wasn't saved. I got down on my knees and asked God to forgive me and save me. And instead of me trying to make myself good enough for God, I asked him to have mercy upon me, a sinner. And I found I received the righteousness that I could never earn myself. A righteousness that doesn't come by obeying the law, but comes from Jesus Christ, who has fulfilled the law. The previous principal of the uh, famous Southern Baptist Seminary was preaching in the um, uh, America, this is about 30 years ago, and his service, Sunday evening service, was going out live on the radio. But a storm was coming, an electric storm was coming, and he wanted to make the point that Billy Graham was not going to go to heaven by his own righteousness. The only hope he had was Christ's righteousness covering him. Well, he was in the pulpit. He was building up to his point, And he said, Billy Graham will not go to heaven. <laughs> there was a thunderclap, a lightning bolt, and all the, all the electric went off, and all the radio uh, was cut off, and all these people heard all over America who were listening, well, Billy Graham is not going to heaven. And they got lots and lots of letters of complaint. But the truth is that Billy Graham isn't going to go to heaven because he obeys the law, nor because he preaches Christ, but because but he will go to heaven because he is clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ receives his righteousness. And everyone who trusts in themselves is doomed to fail. Which is why we're going to celebrate communion in just a minute. To remind ourselves that it's not what we do, but it's what he's done. And he has fulfilled the law. The whole law is fulfilled in Christ. What do we have to do? Trust in the Lord and you will be saved. But don't I have to do this? Don't I? He's done it all. He's fulfilled the law.